Look at verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Father, this morning we ask that you would bless the study of your word. God, I don't know what the morning has been like for everybody that's here or maybe even those that are watching online, but I pray for this time you would help us to lay aside anything that would distract us from focusing on you and your word and hearing your voice this morning. God, I believe you have an important truth that you want us to see today, and God, I pray that you would help me, and God, not to muddy the water or to make something more complicated than it really is. There's a simple truth here. God, bring it forth today by means of your word and your spirit and allow it to penetrate our hearts so that we might be drawn to you and your love, that we might be able to ride over every circumstance of our life, that you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. That one verse, probably one of the most familiar verses in all of the book of Genesis, maybe apart from Genesis 1-1, is Genesis uh, 50, verse 20. And, and probably no verse in all of God's word that more beautifully presents to us the sovereignty or the providence of God. Uh, probably only rival would be Romans 8:28 in the New Testament. But the question is, what is the providence of God? Many definitions that I looked at this week, R.C. Sproul has some great work on the providence of God. But this is what I wrote down. The providence of God is the deep conviction that no matter how horrendous the circumstance, no matter how evil or painful, it will fit perfectly into God's plan and will. That God is not pleased with evil, the offenders are culpable, but there is an ultimate, eternal, and sovereign perspective. And all this stuff that is happening down here is not just a set of coincidences. That all these things that are happening are, are, are not just cosmic accidents. That God is moving and working in them and sovereignly according to his will. That all things really do work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. And so what we've seen in Genesis, in, in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
We've seen these guys experience all kinds of evil and hurt and pain, some of which they brought upon themselves and some of which was just a product of the circumstances of life. But what we've seen is that God has been working in all of it to bring about his perfect plan and will. And all the patriarchs, in fact, all the heroes of Scripture, were put in positions and places where they had to wait upon the Lord. We see this throughout the Old Testament. Wait upon the Lord. They had to wait upon the Lord for the fulfillment of his purposes and plans. In essence, they were trusting in the providence of God. That the bedrock foundation of these great men and women of faith was the providence of God. Few doctrines, few aspects of theology more critical to our walk with God than the providence of God. You know, most of the arguments that are brought against Christianity deal with the issues of pain and suffering. The questions that are often presented to us, in fact, some of you may be even asking today that if God is loving then why is there so much evil and and pain and suffering in our world? If God is good, then why do bad things happen to good people? Does God really care? Is God taking a nap? Is he really in control? And if he is, then why does he allow all this to happen? And I love this about the Bible. In fact, in the very first 12 chapters of Genesis, we've seen God deal with the issue of evil and suffering. The Bible doesn't shy away from the issue of evil and suffering. And the Bible gives us answers, and we've seen these answers. Remember, all the way back in the beginning, if we stop at day five of creation, then there is no evil. If we stop with with the plants and the animals, then there's no evil. But then you'll remember there's the creation of man. And man is given the opportunity to choose. He's given free will. He's given one command. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Man is given the opportunity to trust God or not trust God. And so with the introduction of man is now the possibility of sin. And what did we learn in Genesis chapter 3? The possibility of sin now becomes reality. Man sins, sin enters the world, and everything is broken. But here's the point. Evil was not a part of God's original design. Sin and evil was not a part of God's original design. And one day there will be no more evil. In eternity, the only sign that evil will have ever existed will be the mortal wounds on the immortal body of Jesus Christ. So evil should not be here. This is not the way that God designed us to be. It is not the way that things will be. So then the question becomes, well, if that's the case, why does God allow it to continue? Why doesn't God just get rid of evil? And it's a great question. You want to get rid of evil? Great. How about let's start with you? You Everybody wants that answer, but they don't like, they they want that question, but they don't like that answer. You see, the reality is if there is no man, you get rid of man, then then you have no more problems with evil and sin. But as long as you have man, as long as man has the freedom to choose, 
You'll always have sin. Man is free. Man is responsible. You and I make choices every day. And whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And one day God will rid this world of evil. One day he will arrive and evil will be put down and eradicated. But how many of you are grateful that God didn't return to put down evil five years ago? How many of you are grateful that God didn't come and return and put down evil 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Why? Because you know 20 years ago you didn't know Christ. And you would have been toast. You would have been done. See, one day God will rid this world of evil. And the question is, what is he waiting on? Is God slow? And this is what was occurring when Peter wrote his letter. There were people saying, God hasn't returned. Is God slow? Is God not coming back? And you remember what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3? The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not desiring that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. So he goes on to say, regard the patience of the Lord as salvation. See, God is patient because he's continuing to offer salvation to as many as would receive him. So here, here's the reality this morning. Right now, at this very moment, there is all kinds of evil being perpetrated all over this world. All kinds of evil occurring right now at this very moment. But at the same time, right now, at this very moment, there are men and women who are trusting in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. See, it could be today that the reason that he is waiting to return is he's waiting for you to trust him. He's waiting to bring you in, to bring all the fullness that will come to him so that when he returns in judgment, you would not know his condemnation, but you would know his salvation. Because one day he is coming back. And God has a purpose in pain. He's a purpose in pain. And the circumstance, the painful trials, there's so much that we learn about God that we would have never learned apart from the trials of life. If it were not for the trials of my life, I would never know anything of the compassion and the grace and the mercy of God. It's why the scripture tells us the angels long to look into the salvation that we know. To experience that, I think the angels are in awe of wonder of the, the grace and the mercy of God that he pours out onto us as sinners. And what we see throughout scripture is that where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. And all the evil and all the pain and all the sin cannot thwart the purposes of God. That's what we call the providence of God. And what Joseph, do, what Joseph does is Joseph shows us See, the picture here is that if, if God can be providential in Joseph's life, then God can be providential in your life. That, that if God can be providential in the life of a guy whose brothers tried to kill him and sell him into slavery. Any of you here, your, your brothers and sisters try to kill you and sell you into slavery? The point here is if God can be sovereign in this guy's life and turn that around for his good and God's glory, then he can do it in your life too. That if God can be sovereign in a guy's life who is falsely accused of rape, 
falsely accused of rape. Not just falsely accused, he's publicly convicted of rape when he did nothing wrong. If God can be sovereign in that man's life and take that circumstance and turn it around for his good and God's glory, then he can do it in your life. If God can take a man who would spend 10 years in prison, lose his father, his mother, his brothers, lose his health and his reputation, and take those circumstances and turn it around for his good and God's glory, then God can do it in your life too. That's what God wants us to see. In fact, at the very end of this, we don't have time to talk about it, but they put Joseph in a coffin and they keep him in Egypt until they return. Can you imagine, just picture this, some big old huge coffin laying over in the corner of a room somewhere and people walking by because there's going to be 400 years that pass between Genesis and Exodus. As much as the intertestamental period, as much as the time between Malachi and Matthew. And so all those years, this big old box sitting over in a corner and people asking, why is that there? And the answer was there. That, 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 that's there to remind us that even though the circumstances get really bad, don't despair. Because God has a way of working things out. So I believe, just briefly here this morning, I believe before we take communion, that Joseph wants to speak to you. Any of you today going through some stuff in your life, some pain in your life? I know there are because I talk to you. Any of you going through some stuff in your life right now that you would say, God, it feels like it's a waste. Any of you going through a circumstance right now, you say, God, there, I don't see any way in which you can make good out of this. Any of you been hurt and wronged to such an extent that you say, there's no hope for reconciliation. Can I tell you, God wants to speak to you this morning through Joseph, and he wants you to be reminded of his providence, that nothing is too difficult for him, and no situation is so evil that he can't use it for his purposes and glory. So what would Joseph say to us? First of all, I think the first thing that Joseph would say to us is, number one, let God be God. He would say, let God be God. Joseph says to his brothers, his brothers have come to him seeking forgiveness. And he says to them, don't be afraid, for am I in God's place? Joseph, he's been hurt in horrendous ways. Joseph, if there was ever a person who had a right to hold a grudge, if there was ever a a guy who had a right to withhold forgiveness, But you know what? If he were here today, do you know what I think he would say to us? He would say to us, you know what I had to learn? I had to learn to let God be God. See, whenever someone wrongs us, when someone hurts us, our flesh, due to our sin nature, is inclined to want revenge. That's the way in our sin nature, that's the way we naturally respond. So that yesterday when I'm driving and a person cuts me off, I begin to pray that a police officer will be over the hill. (laughs) And I want revenge. I'm mad, I want them to hurt. You know, I didn't pray for a car accident. I just a cop, you know, and a ticket. But but that's, that's the way our hearts are inclined to do when someone hurts us. 
And don't you think that along the way, those were the kinds of thoughts that went through Joseph's mind? I think about year two or three in prison, falsely uh, convicted. I, I think he begins to think, God, if I ever get out of this place, and if I ever have the opportunity or authority or power, and I see those brothers of mine again, I will surely kill them. They're, they're, they're goners. I want them to hurt in the way that I hurt. But here is what Joseph learned and, and what I think he would want us to hear today, that whenever you hold a grudge, whenever you have a heart that's set on revenge, whenever you withhold forgiveness, you are making yourself out to be God. Paul in Romans 12, 19 said, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. If you are here this morning and you are holding a grudge and you are seeking revenge and you are withholding forgiveness, you know what God's saying to you today? Quit trying to take my job. Quit trying to take my job. Number one, you don't have the right. See, you're, you're a sinner just like the person who hurt you. You're a sinner just, in, just as much in need of my grace and my mercy and forgiveness as the person who hurt you. Number two, not only do you not have the right, you don't have the knowledge. You and I got about a thimble full of knowledge. God is saying to us, you don't know what I know. You don't know what they deserve. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know how much they've suffered. You don't know what I know. And number three, not only do you not have the right and don't have the knowledge, number three, only God has the ability to execute judgment and remain holy. Only God has the ability to execute judgment and remain righteous and perfectly holy. Whenever we withhold forgiveness, when we hold a grudge or seek to hurt an individual, the evil that they committed is now coming into our lives. The evil that moved that person to commit sin against you is now coming into your life, causing you to commit sin against them. So you may win by repaying evil, but ultimately you lose by becoming evil and sinful yourself. And that's why God says to us, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Let God be God. Let God be the judge. You know, every time I think about this principle, I think of Naboth's vineyard. You remember old Naboth? Just got this little vineyard, all he really got. Loves that vineyard, can't sell it. He's under obligation by God. Oh, King Ahab wants that vineyard, tries to get it, tries to buy it. He can't. Naboth can't. And so Ahab goes home pouting. His wife Jezebel, what's wrong? I can't have Naboth's vineyard. That's okay, I'll get it for you. And she brings false accusation against Naboth, makes up stuff, lies. They drag Naboth out and kill him. You talk about unjust. You talk about unfair. Here's a guy just trying to be faithful. And Jezebel and Ahab take advantage of him and have him killed. Now put yourself in the position of Naboth's wife. Do you not think there's a temptation there to want to hold a grudge? That wicked Ahab used his position to kill a good and faithful man. But she had to let God be God. And guess what God did? You remember? 
Elijah comes to King Ahab and says, you may think that nobody saw, but God saw. And do you know what God said through Elijah to King Ahab? One day, you're going to die, and dogs are going to lick up your blood. And I guarantee you, every time King Ahab saw a dog, he wet his pants. Because he knew. Now, did God do it immediately? You think, what's God waiting on? But guess what God does? King Ahab goes into battle years later, disguises himself, thinks he's hiding. God knows where he's at. The enemy army, one of their archers, takes an arrow, shoots it randomly in the air. And it just so happens to hit King Ahab in an area where he was exposed. They haul off his body. He dies. And dogs lick up his blood. The point, let God be God. Vengeance looks good on God. It don't look good on you. Secondly, I think that Joseph would say to us, you must seek to see your circumstances from God's perspective. You've got to see your circumstances from God's perspective. That's the essence of verse 20. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You know, you know, jigsaw puzzle. It's been a long time since I did a jigsaw puzzle. But if you've ever done a jigsaw puzzle, you know how it works. You open that box, you got all those pieces, it just looks like a chaotic mess. Especially if you get one of those puzzles that's got a whole bunch of thousands of pieces. You look at it, just these small pieces, it's a jumbled up mess. And what do you do? You, you pour out the pieces. And what, if, if you're a seasoned veteran at doing puzzles, what do you look for first? You look for the corners and the edges, right? So you set all the pieces, you look for the corners and the edges. You get the corners, you get the edges, and you start to work the little puzzle, get, the, get that going. And, and eventually... As you put together the pieces. Now, what's really nice is when you got the box. But in life, guess what? There's only one person who's got the box. But as you get to put the pieces together, they, they seem so chaotic, it seems random. But more and more, as pieces start to get into their place, you begin to see a beautiful picture is emerging from what seemed to be so chaotic and random. Well, Joseph, here at the end of his life, the jigsaw puzzle is finally coming together. And the individual pieces don't appear so random or chaotic anymore. And he sees that God was creating a masterpiece in his life and in the life of his family that he never could have imagined. See, so many times we find ourselves in situations and the situation just becomes all-consuming, and we ask the question, what is the meaning of this? God, God, what is the meaning of this? But from God's under, uh, perspective, we need to understand that there is no single this in your life that is disconnected from the larger picture of what God is doing. God is never simply operating in these individual isolated events in our lives. And oftentimes, it's only when we step back through the perspective of God and the perspective of time, only when we step back are we able to see, at least to some extent, and say, Lord, now I think I see what you are doing. And it may be so much different than what I originally wanted, but it's so much greater than I ever deserved. I, you know, one of my favorite things is to sit with somebody who 
is a, a senior saint. And when you talk to them about the providence of God, especially like this, inevitably, you know what you see? You see tears running down their cheeks. Because the longer we go and the more we live, I think the sometimes we may never know until we meet up with Christ. But the longer we live and the further we go, we're able to see the isolated incidents that seem so chaotic and hurtful in the, in the bigger perspective of God's plan. And we understand it wasn't what I wanted, oh, but it's greater than I ever deserved. You know, there's two parts to what Joseph says here, and I love both parts. One, you meant it for evil. Do you know what Joseph is saying? He's saying evil is real. Evil does exist. You know, our faith in Christ is not just some pie-in-the-sky faith. We live and exist in a world that is real, and there's pain and there's hurt. We see this throughout Scripture. Suffering and evil are a very real part of the life. The Bible's clear about this. We got a whole book of the Bible on it called Job. In fact, the book of Job, the, the idea that if you live a good life, everything will just work out well for you. Job flies in the face of that, doesn't it? That here's a good and righteous man, and yet he experiences evil. The Bible is very realistic when it comes to evil and pain and suffering. But there's also another side of this. So the first part is that evil is real. You meant it for evil. But the second part of this is that God is always working it for good. That God meant it for good. That God really is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That God is for us. And nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And the beauty of this is that only from God's perspective can you bring these two things together. If you just look at this from a worldly perspective, you either say things are bad and it looks like God is bad. Or you say things are good and God is good. But only from God's perspective can we say yes there is evil but God is really, really good. And this is so important for us to grasp. In fact, I believe it is one of the most important lessons that we could take from Genesis. One of the great resources for us as believers. And, and listen to me, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, this is the most freeing and joyful aspect of knowing Christ. And this is what, what kind of differentiates us from the world. Because as believers in Jesus Christ, we experience the same trials that the world experiences. Just because you're a believer in Christ doesn't mean that you're immune from cancer. Christians get cancer. Christians have heart attacks. Christians still sin. We experience all the same things that the world experiences, but what differentiates us is that while the world runs to the bars and runs to drugs to seek to cope, and while the world runs to politicians and psychologists and education and sex and money and jobs and all kinds of world causes, we are different. We run to the Lord and we trust that he is sovereign and that he is good and he really is working all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. We wait on the Lord. It's why in scripture we always see this phrase, wait upon the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait on the Lord. Because we know in his providence, he works it all together for our good. I mean, think about Jacob, Joseph's fathers. Jacob sinned. Jacob lied. He deceived. And because of his sin, his family life blew up. His life blew up. His family blew up. 
Had to run. He's now on the run. He has to leave mom. Separation from his brother. All kinds of brokenness in his life. But only because of his sin did he meet his wife, Rachel. So because of his sin, he met up with Rachel. And because he met Rachel, they had some children. And through those children would come who? Ultimately, the Savior of the world. Was God okay with Jacob's sin? No. Not a chance. Did did Jacob have to sin? No. He had a choice. Were there consequences? Yes. Was he responsible? Yes. So it was wrong that he sinned? Yes. But here's the real question. Was Jacob's life now on plan B? Did God say, well, he messed up, so we're going to have to figure out a different deal up here in heaven? Listen, I'm pretty sure that Jesus Christ the Messiah is not God's plan B. And this is the reason that we can say, this is the heart of why we can say that no matter who hurts us, no matter who wrongs me, no matter what sin, no matter what pain, no matter what circumstances come into my life, I can write over the top of those circumstances that you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. No matter who sins against us, no matter what wrong, no matter even the unsin in our life, nothing can sink God's perfect plan and will. And God is so providential and so sovereign. Not only can evil and sin not stop his plan, He can take that evil and that sin and turn it around for his good purposes. That is the depths of the glorious riches of the God that we serve. William Cooper wrote this hymn, God Moves in Mysterious Ways. God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. You know what it means? It plants his footsteps in the sea, meaning you can't see his footprints. That just because he's invisible doesn't mean he's not there. And just because he's not working and moving like you want him to doesn't mean that he's impotent. Deep and unfathomable minds of never-failing skill He treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. You know what Joseph is saying to us today? No matter where you're at or what you're going through, let God be God. And you must see your circumstances from God's perspective. 
You know the final thing that I think Joseph would say to us this morning? I think he would say to us, trust in Christ. Trust in Christ. You might say, well, there's, there's no mention of Jesus here. But Joseph, we've seen the Jesus pattern in Joseph, haven't we? But Joseph never looks more like Jesus than he does right here. Brothers who have wronged him and hurt him. Brothers who should be his enemies. Brothers who deserve nothing but death and hell. That's what they deserve. And you know what Joseph says to him? In fact, I love earlier in the narrative when Joseph finally discloses himself. Do you remember what Joseph says to his brothers? He says, come closer. You know what he's saying? Yeah, you're right. You should be scared. Because what you deserve is death and hell. But he says to them, come closer. There's grace. There's forgiveness. There's mercy. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And you know what's so sad about this last portion here where the brothers, they commentators don't know if they made up the note or if Jacob really wrote it but they send the note to Joseph saying be nice to your brothers you know <laughs> and Joseph wept you know why Joseph wept I think he wept because he's thinking don't you know I've already forgiven you can't you see the the the, the way I've cared for you he's heartbroken you know there's so many people that they're scared to come to Jesus because all they can see is their sin. All they can see is their offenses. And they're so overwhelmed by the burden of their guilt and sin that they find it very difficult to come to Jesus. You know what Jesus says to you today? Trust me, come closer. There's grace, there's forgiveness. And if you ever had reason to doubt how loving I am, how good and gracious I am, look to the cross. I sent my son to die for you. If you'll come to me, give me your sin, I'll give you my righteousness. That's a good God who takes evil and turns it around for our redemption. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your providence. The providence that's foreshadowed right here in Joseph, but most clearly seen in your son Jesus. who died on a cross for our sins and you took the evil intentions of man and the evil intentions of Satan and they meant it for evil but you meant it for good and you took the most horrendous act in all of human history and you turned it around for our redemption and salvation 
And God, I pray if there's anybody here this morning, they're burdened by their guilt and their sin, I pray that they would look to the cross and they would see the love of Jesus who died for them. And they would be so overwhelmed by your goodness and grace that they couldn't help but run to you and know your salvation and your freedom. That they could know today that their sins are forgiven. They're as far as the east is from the west. In your mind, never to be remembered again. To have the Holy Spirit of God placed inside of their heart. To be reborn by the Spirit of God. And set down a new path. A path that may still include pain. May still include suffering. But a path that ultimately leads to the glory of God in heaven. I pray that they would trust you. God, for those of us that do know you, we experience situations in our life, circumstances that can cause us to question your goodness. God, I pray that we would take encouragement from Joseph this morning. I pray that you would speak into the hearts of those who are hurting this morning. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. I pray that they would hear the words of David in, in Psalm 27 when he said, I, I, I would have despaired unless I had believed I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David, in the midst of great trial, said, I'm trusting that you're really going to work this out for my good and your glory. I pray that you would encourage those believers today who are thinking of throwing in the towel and giving up to trust you, that you are good and your plan is perfect. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.